One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another live edition of the Work-Life Balance. And in collectively, hopefully everybody can do the same thing that I'm about to do, which just is uh, to breathe. Just take a breath. Just because it has been pandemonium here uh, for the last several weeks. I know I did a live show last week. I wanted to get right to Barbara. She did a great job. If you, if you didn't uh, hear Barbara Gustafson, you, you definitely want to check out last week's show. But even that that one I took from the road. So this is the first time in probably eight weeks that I've actually in uh, the studio, in the home office here, uh, you know, coming, coming to you guys live. Finally, it's been crazy. We did started with the PMI event uh, that we did in Pennsylvania, which was phenomenal. Um, The week after that, I was able to attend a a live conference called leaderships, which is going to be the topic of today's show. Um, As, as I always do when I go to a Maxwell event, I love to come back and just detox and share with you guys what I learned, what was profound to me. And that's, that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, The week after that had, had blocked off obviously for Thanksgiving, um, and then I was able to attend a, a wedding, Daryl Monica's wedding, um, in uh, in Texas, which was phenomenal. A lot of John Maxwell team members there. Um, I've got a ton of love for for Daryl Rivers and, and Monica now Rivers, but Monica Santoyo Rivers. And uh, so I, I spent several days in Texas with them for their wedding, uh, and then was back to work and, and at client sites in Georgia and all these other places. So we had a lot of stuff uh, going on. In the meantime, we also had a, a leadership conference that we hosted here in Birmingham, uh, where we, we did the Live to Lead, as well as did uh, uh, some leadership training to uh, executive directors and leaders of nonprofits here in Birmingham, Alabama, is kind of my way of giving back to the nonprofit community. So we got that accomplished as well. So just a ton of stuff. Uh, going on uh, and, and super excited. Uh, but uh, it, just like everybody else, though, I mean, it can feel overwhelming. It can really get um, to a point sometimes where we have to take that step back and, and take a breath. So I'm so excited to be home, uh, although it's only for a couple of days before my next trip starts on Sunday, but uh, home nonetheless. So let's get into today's show. Um, as I As I talked about, uh, I got a, a invitation to go see uh, John Maxwell and several other people uh, to to speak on his new book, which is called Leaderships. In the title of this episode, um, and that uh, that book is due out in February. Um, but we got a chance to hear John live doing what he what he does, and uh, we had some other special guests that absolutely blew me away. And uh, so we had Ed Bash in there, who's the CEO of Delta. We had Rachel Hollis, who is. Um, just taking the world by storm right now with a book called Girl, Wash Your Face. And uh, a few others uh, were there. Mark Cole talked to us. And so I normally take about, you know, I don't know, a page of notes, two page of notes per keynote that I listen to, just kind of the key things I want to take away. And and I filled this little booklet that I had um, uh, with notes from this conference. I mean, it really was gold. Um, there's going to be an opportunity to purchase through the John Maxwell company, the Leaderships Live uh, teaching that he did. And that's that's what we were there to watch. Uh, and I highly, highly, highly suggest it. It's, it. It was amazing. So let's get into some of those points and some of those things that that really kind of made me think um, through, throughout this journey, throughout uh, this presentation. 
the, the first thing that, that I wrote down that, that meant a, a great deal to me is um, where John said, you, you need to be able to publicly recognize that you need other people. And so, you know, I do a ton of coaching with executives. I meet with a lot of people and, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, you know, if I want it done right, I'll just do it myself. And you probably at some point in your life have said something of that same thing. I know I've said it. I know I've done it. I know that um, why it's so particular to me is, is in, in 2012, uh, when I, I nearly went bankrupt as a business owner, the biggest reason why I almost went bankrupt was because I had hit my leadership lid. I hit my leadership lid because I didn't know how to empower my people I didn't know how to empower my people because I didn't really feel like, and this is going to be horrible, but it's a recognition point, and I'll say it if, if other people don't, I, I didn't really feel like I needed them. I felt like they were there, they were doing stuff, but I didn't need them because, you know, really it was my company and I could do everything that they were doing. And that was such a horrible, horrible stance. Um, and it couldn't be further from the truth as evidenced by me almost losing everything, the whole business, everything. And so when you start to publicly recognize that you really need other people, um, you, you recognize, right, that, that people always need a leader, but the leaders need the people. And that was a profound statement from John that really just kind of spoke to my heart. Because what happens is, as you start to get through additional challenges and things of that sort, um, the bigger the challenge, the, the better of the team that you need around you. So you can't grow and you can't become better unless you're challenging yourself. But you can't create bigger challenges unless you have a team that's, that's willing to do so. And, and one of John's quotes that he says, um, is specifically when he talks about his vision around um, transforming countries, you know, people ask him, do you think you'll see a country transformed? And he goes, no, not, not in my lifetime. But he goes, I'd rather die knowing that I was trying to accomplish something bigger than myself than live knowing that I never tried. And what a profound quote, right? So he'd rather pass, and I think any of us would, would rather die trying to, to swing for the fences and do something that's way bigger than, than, than ourselves, way bigger than our own potential, way bigger than what we ever dreamed we could accomplish than to not ever try to do something of that sort. And to hear somebody who, who's written as many books as John has, who's had the success that he's had, I, I've never really gotten a chance to hang out with somebody like John where they really have accomplished what most people dream of. And he's not done dreaming. And to be around that is incredibly inspirational and incredibly uh, a, a, becomes a driving force to you to want to push the boundaries that we've set for ourselves even further. Because he talks about um, changing his writing style, which he did recently. But that was after he had sold 250 million books. Right? So it's not about selling the first 200,000, the first million, the first 5 million. After 250 million books sold, he still took a step back and said, you know, I could be better. I can, I can go after more. I can do better. Um, where so many of us are, are waiting for that. Are, I, I know so many people in my lifetime that, that are aiming for the plateau. 
they're saying, well, when I get that, then I can rest. Or when I get that, and, and they, they say things like, oh, I can't wait to slow down. I can't wait for things to calm down. You know, I talk to my good friends and they say, you know, how do you do all the stuff that you do, right? And keep all the, the balls in the air that we've got going. And I've, I've said to myself, boy, I, you know, I need to take a breath. I need to slow down, that kind of stuff. But, but what's the reality of actually wishing for that? Is that it does slow down, that it does go away, that there isn't the next step. And then I've, I've stagnated on a plateau. And so there's people who dream of that plateau. They're like, well, once I sell a million books, I'm there. Once I sell 5 million books, I'm there. Once I speak to 6,000 people, I'm there. I've arrived. But, but how many times do we know of people that have arrived that you can't remember? Like if we start to roll through some of the hottest fads and the hottest leadership people in the, in the last few years, there'll be some names that you'd be like, yeah, I remember them. Of course, you haven't heard anything from them lately, but yeah, I, re- I remember them. I don't want to be remembered. I want to be revered. And you don't become revered by, by simply, you know, stagnating or plateauing at, at your latest success. You always have to strive for better. And there's no better mentor to me than watching how John uh, goes about that. And so a lot of things ha- have been swirling through my mind as, as business changes, um, things happen. You know, one of the big announcements um, recently, and it may not mean anything to you guys, but it, it's pretty, pretty influential to me is that we, we were uh, a huge partner to CA, Computer Associates, and then they were purchased by a bigger company called Broadcom. And there's a lot of changes coming, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty going on um, with our consulting business and, and, and what we're going to do with that, what that means for us. Um, and, and you start thinking about competition, what are the competitors doing? What, what should I be doing? That kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, so I, I had thought about that and thought into, you know, what's the competition doing? But I don't want to compete, right? And, and, and here, here was something that John had said in leadership. He said, you know, if you're competing, then you have a scarcity mindset. If, if, if you're going after competition or what the competition's doing or wondering about how the competition's gonna, gonna influence you, you're, you're competing and competing says that there's a scarcity mindset. That, that means that there's only so much business out there and I've gotta compete to get it um, because there's only a small slice of the pie. Where when, when you have an abundance mindset, then, you, then your only goal is to complete what it is that you're trying to do. It's, it's, it's somebody has something and, and you're there to complete it. Uh, I'm not there to compete because that's a, a, a scarcity mindset where complete is more abundance of a mindset saying that there's a ton of stuff out there. And what's the best way to exceed expectations, complete the scope of work that we're doing and do it in such a way that we know so much more is out there and there's so much more to do. So I've only looked at a half a page of about 40 pages of notes that I took at this thing. And and you can only imagine, um, you know, what came out of this. It's just unbelievable. So this is what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to be reflecting on leaderships. Um, And next, in the next segment, I'm going to talk about um, somebody I didn't know a whole lot about. Um, I knew his name. I knew what he did, but I didn't know a whole lot about him. And what he revealed at this was absolutely incredible. We'll talk about that. When we come back from this break, you're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. 
Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to this edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're discussing leaderships, a Leaderships Live event that I was able to attend a few weeks ago and just kind of my thoughts and, and notes and, and reflections based on that event. Um, and, and so let me, you know, I got asked uh, by a listener at one point why, why I do these types of shows. Um, number one, I think they're fascinating shows that, to, to be able to reveal things that were said to people that may not be able to, to get to the event or hear it. But another one is, is you know, it, it was said a, a long time ago, and I'm not sure who said it, but they said eva- uh, experience isn't the greatest teacher, evaluated experience is the greatest teacher. And I learned that I was an auditory thinker, so by auditorily telling these stories and, and talking through these points, it helps them kind of stick with me a lot longer, and so that's why I love these types of shows. So... There was a person that was that was introduced, and again, I knew his name, I knew his title. I didn't know much about him, though, and I, I walked away a, a huge raving fan of this gentleman. His name was Ed Bastian, and he is the current CEO of Delta. 
And it's, it was interesting for me because I was kind of leaning in on this because I was a, a, a loyal Delta flyer um, and then over uh, the ages had started to step away from them from a loyalty program because, you know, it was harder to keep the points. And uh, there's so many um, diamond level, platinum level people that live in the area that I do. Um, and so the benefits were harder to keep and weren't as great. And, and so I kind of stepped away from them a little bit. After his presentation, I was like, man, I... I got, I got to look at Delta again. So the first thing that he brought up was that Delta is not a 24 by seven company, right? They have flights scheduled basically 46 hours by seven days a week. And when you think about it, it's all the different time zones, how people are flying and landing and all that other kind of stuff. So, so the sheer just logistics of an airline is incredible. And, um, basically what, what he really wanted to focus on was a couple of areas. Um, when he took over, they, they were coming through, you know, bad time, lost a lot of money, uh, lost a lot of customer loyalty, including me at that time. And uh, so he was just explaining the business and some of the things that they went through. So, for instance, one thing they explained is that every time oil rises a dollar, right? So, so the barrel of oil, when it rises a dollar, that equals $100 million in additional expenses to Delta. And he said, so last year, oil has risen collectively over $20 a barrel. So that's, that's basically $2 billion in expenses that, that weren't necessarily anticipated, right? Now, they've done some anticipation, but still, that's, that's the impact to the airline. And, you know, you would think the logical thing would, to do would be to raise ticket prices, but they had only raised ticket prices about 7% uh, through, through that 2 billion additional. So they do some things with offsetting their funds and that kind of stuff, which I found fascinating. But at the same time, that sole number of a dollar in a barrel oil, a hundred million dollars to Delta is, is pretty incredible to think about. Uh, and he was making jokes. Um, one of the ones I wrote down, he said, they never lose bags. They just mishandle them, which I thought was a good way to look at it. But so the, the key of the turnaround, though, was getting to the employees. And so they, they, they went to the employees and um, they said, look, you know, layoffs could be coming. Uh, we've got to figure out how to uh, cut some salaries and that kind of stuff. But they, they started what they call behind the velvet rope. And at the time, there were 30,000 or 50,000 employees. Now they're 80,000. But at the time, Ed set up basically red sh- uh, road shows where – Every single employee of Delta came through it. They got to meet the executives. They got to hear what the plans were. Um, and so it was a very communicative environment. They're still doing it today. But instead of making a lot of the decisions, like, again, I'm watching CA be purchased by Broadcom and just the indecision, the, the, um, the lack of communication to the employees, it's got everybody in, in an uproar. And uh, it, it certainly impacting business. So Delta went about it by bringing everybody in, communicating everything to them, and, and really kind of discussing all of this. And um, one of the things that that they were talking about was their salaries. And so they had taken a vote to reduce their salaries on a temporary basis. Um, even the pilots, I, I believe, took a 50% uh, pay cut. But in order to offset that, what Ed had promised them is that 15% of the profits of the company will go to an employee bonus program and that executives can't participate in that. So it's solely for employees and it's 15% of the profits. 
Um, and last year, that was $2 billion in profits that they dispersed to their 80,000 employees. And here is, here is a tip on that. They actually pay it out on Valentine's Day. So if you ever want to fly Delta, fly Delta on Valentine's Day, I guarantee you they're going to be in a phenomenal mood because that's where they all uh, get their bonus checks. The, the other thing I found really interesting is he was talking through um, some of the things that they, they really wanted to, to, to fix. And of that, um, again, bringing these people in and working with the employees and trying to find better processes, um, they wanted to control what they can control. So obviously, airlines can't control you know, world events. They can't control weather, right? But one of the things you can control is a delay or cancellation of a flight due to maintenance. And when he started this program, they had 52, they, they had made 5,200 flight cancellations in, in a calendar year um, based on maintenance reasons, right? So things that they felt they could control versus the normal cancellations of, of weather, that kind of stuff. And, and year to date, uh, as of November, they were at 75. And that is a, a tremendous shift. And, and he's still looking at that 75 going, how do, we, how do we stop that? But through working with the employees and understanding the process and seeing what they could do, I mean, that is, that is a staggering number to, to eliminate 5,125 cancellations that had happened before um, based on the new process. That's, that is phenomenal work. Um, and something that I found really inspirational to, to listen to. And he says, I mean, through this whole thing, I mean, I was just enamored with how personable he was, how communicative he was. Um, and, and so some of the things that, that came out from that as he was sharing the vision of what he wanted to do with the company to the, to the employees, um, one of the things I wrote down, which I thought was interesting was, um, first year of vision is tell. So when you're setting up a vision, you're, you're painting that, that first year, you, you have to be able to tell the vision, let, let people get it, understand it. He said, but the second year is show and tell, which is, again, a phenomenal thing. It's not just about talking about what we think this is going to do or talking about where we want to go. It's, it's essentially um, moving from directing to connecting, essentially. And it's, it's communicating in such a way that the employees get what it is that they're going after. Um, the, the last thing that, that was brought up, and it was a quote actually by, by John Wooden, uh, the incredible coach, right? Wooden said, if I went back and, and did the do-overs that you know, I would get in life, then he wouldn't have the character he had today meaning all the mistakes and all the things that had occurred and all the life's buildups um, essentially established his character. So if he had a chance to go back and do them over, he doesn't want to because it would strip away some of the character and work ethic and things that, uh, that, that he knew of, which I, I just, I, I, you sit back and reflect on a quote like that and just to think through it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. So, the next step after this, you know, the, the, the person that um, took the stage, which 
um, I didn't know a whole lot about either. Uh, some friends of mine absolutely knew about her, uh, but her name's Rachel Hollis. And if you, if you don't know this young lady, you need to you need to Google her. Uh, she's got an incredible social media presence. She does a lot, uh, and she was the author of, of Girl Wash Your Face. I've never seen anybody take a stage um, like she did. Not only wow a stage, but really take control of of, of John Maxwell's stage. She even shushed him at one point, which I thought was hilarious, but in a nice way. What she what she did was was uh, John was was saying that that was a good comment, and she looked up to him so much that it, it threw her. She just she was like, "I can't, I can't have you compliment me while I'm up on stage because you mean so much to me," which I I thought was hilarious. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take a break here in a second and really get into what Rachel said. Um, but I think the most profound statement that, that I kind of want to talk through here that she made is she said that we allow others' discomfort de- to determine how much we want to grow. So we try to buy others' love with pieces of our lives, but we end up giving pieces of our lives away. Um, and just l- l- let me say that again. We allow others' discomfort to determine how much we want to grow. So I don't know, you know, if if you're married out there, if you have a spouse, whatever, but when you start these personal growth journeys and you start to grow, your friends, your spouse, there's other people that become uncomfortable with that because essentially, and, and let's just be fair, they're not growing. And so since they're not growing, they kind of want you to stay the same. And, and as John says, average people want you to stay average. Um, but as you start this growth journey, um, people become uncomfortable with it, and then we allow that discomfort to impact our growth. We we either stop the program, or we stop doing what we're doing, or we go back to status quo. And that that to me is is probably one of the best statements I heard through throughout the day. Is that we can't allow people's discomfort to determine whether or not we're going to continue to grow. We've got to have. Um, the heart, the will, the, the path to, to grow the way we want to grow. And, and so if you're, a, if you're a person that's allowing others discomfort to determine how much you want to grow, then, then your entire value system is wrapped up in other people's opinions of you. And so that really makes you take a step back and want to start taking uh, stock of, of the values and, and things that you say you want to do but if you stop growth in something that's of personal value to you because somebody's uncomfortable, then their opinion of you means more than the growth that you want to achieve. And that, that's as impactful as it gets um, because we've all been there. We've all had friends say that's a dumb idea. We've all had people tell us that, that you know, we shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. I know um, it's a topic of conversation amongst a lot of us in the John Maxwell team because uh, we've watched people who, who've kind of outgrown each other and moved on. Um, but uh, it's an interesting piece to say how much power we give to other people's opinions of what it is that we're doing or how it is that we're, that, that, that we're living our life, especially when we start to grow beyond where we were at the, at the time. So I, phenomenal quote, and I'm going to leave it there. But when we come back after the break, I'm going to share more of Rachel Hollis as well as Leadership's Live Uh, You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for the third segment of the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about Leadership's Live and uh, some of my thoughts and, and reflections on the event. And I left off with Rachel Hollis, who is the author of Girl, Wash Your Face, uh, does an amazing job. Um, extremely energetic, very, very inspirational. Uh, and we shared just a, a second ago her, her quote that, you know, we allow others discomfort to determine how much we grow. Um, but, but even better, what she said um, was that it, when you make the decision to grow personally, to do personal growth, then you have decided that you are worthy of an investment in you. And that means if you make the decision not to start a personal growth journey and to learn and to grow and to expand your horizons, that you don't feel that you're worthy enough to invest in yourself. And um, again, that, that one hit me like a ton of bricks because the people that plateau, the people that 
decide, you know, and, and I've met people, I've coached people that go, well, that's their problem. They need to fix it versus right, they, right, looking at yourself and inside yourself, how you can, how you can grow, how you can become better. Um, but uh, first you have to make that decision that you're worthy of that investment in you. And once you've made that decision, then the investment itself doesn't really matter. You know, whether you take this leadership course or you join this program or whatever it is, the investment portion is the easy part. Making the decision that you're worthy of that investment is, is the part that you've got to wrap your head around, especially if you've not made that decision to start doing things. And what's interesting is the impact of that decision. So, you know, for instance, I talked about, you know, struggles with weight and, and me getting onto an accountability program with a coach uh, around that piece. Um, and, it, and it's kind of cool because, you know, I don't want to disappoint him just as much as I don't want to disappoint myself, but it's really me that, that I'm really pushing for disappointment. But, um, you know, you start getting phone calls from other people who are in that same boat and, and we start to become encouraging of each other in that, that natural willingness to grow uh, and that natural willingness to, to take on that challenge, all of a sudden you're, you're not alone. You're not doing it by yourself. You've got other people who are rooting for you as well as, as wanting to be part of that accountability for your success. And um, I think that's one of the greatest things that, that can happen. So I, I suggest definitely checking out uh, Rachel Hollis. You've got to hear her say some of these things because she's just flat out uh, amazing. Um, so the the last piece I, that that really was was hitting me, and, and again, it's it's um, I, I, I try to be as transparent as possible on the show. And so I'm at a crossroads again in my career. I'm getting I'm getting pulled between what I feel like I was called to do. In, in what my career is. And um, right now they don't, they don't match, I don't think. Um, I, I'm building out more of the agile coaching practice, executive coaching practice, working into that arena versus the implementations that have gotten me to this point. I feel like um, as, as a business owner, I'm, I'm beginning to outgrow the implementation side of the business and really wanna grow into really helping organizations as a whole become better. And so I feel like that's what I'm called to do. I feel like that's where it works. And in a, a calling, as defined by John, is, is essentially your purpose with, with the divine touch. And it, it's where your talents and, and the needs of the world, right, they, they cross. That, that's where your calling begins. And so he, he did a compare and contrast between career and calling that, that I wanted to share with you guys. You know, what's considered a career versus what's, considered a calling. So he says um, that a career is about you, um, you know, what you want to do, that kind of stuff. A calling is about others, about helping others, wanting to reach out to others, wanting to make the, the world a better place for others. Um, a career is what you choose versus a calling chooses you. Um, a, a career is a separate thing. You you have a job. It's It's while you may be a part of a company, it, it's you're, you're separate because you've got a specific role or job that you're trying to fulfill. Where calling is more integrated, um, it's it's integrated with the needs of others, integrated with the wants of others, and in making sure that that we're growing. Um, 
a career, you can kind of take it and leave it, meaning you can say, well, I'm out. I'm done for the day. I'm out of the office. I'm leaving all that behind. Whereas a, a calling never leaves you. It's, it's part of who you are. It's part of your every conversation and everyday being. Uh, a career is something you can do, whereas a calling is something you must do. And then finally, um, a, a quote that I've shared over and over, but career is something you're successful in. And a calling is something that you're significant in. And once you've tasted significance, success never satisfies. And what, what, what I love about it is, is when you're really doing a calling, when you're really involved in your calling, then you become captivated in it. And when you're captivated in it, you become contagious. And it leads you through um, a, a belief cycle, essentially. Um, and so... Once you've kind of got that calling, you're fired up, um, you believe and you know it in your heart, you believe and have belief that this is the right thing to do. This is the calling. This is what I'm going to go do. Well, if you have that belief, then what becomes contagious to your team is the anticipation. They begin to anticipate bringing that belief to a reality, right? So anticipation becomes kind of the next step of the belief cycle. So I believe in something, it's my calling. Um, Now there's anticipation. People are starting to see how it can happen. Um, And anticipation then leads to intention. So so if I'm thinking about it and I'm excited about it and I start to anticipate with the results, then it becomes intentional, us taking activity to go after that belief, to satisfy that anticipation. So anticipation leads to intention. Intention leads to opportunity. So if, if we have intention to start, intention to do it, intention to do things, that, that, that begins to create opportunities that satisfy the intention, which builds into anticipation and, and essentially delivers the belief. Opportunity then creates action. So now we've got the opportunity to do something and we go after it, we take action, off we go. And action leads to passion. So now that we're taking action, we start to see results. Other people become passionate about what it is that we're doing. And passion leads to their belief. And so now that they have their belief, it goes back through the anticipation, intention, opportunity, action, and passion. Um, and, And what a great way to kind of think about it. How many leaders have you worked with? Do you know? Um, that truly don't believe in the vision that they're laying out there. And you know it. I mean, the moment they say it, you know they don't believe in it. Therefore, your anticipation is, we're not going to follow through, right? And then that anticipation to not follow through means your intentions aren't to really do anything about it, which won't create the opportunity, action, or passion. So belief is where all this starts. Belief that not only in, in tying together what Rachel says, belief is not only being sure of your calling, belief is also making the decision to invest in the growth of that opportunity. And so I've had many ideas, you know, in in the past. Um, But one of them uh, that we're, you know, I feel strongly about is is around the digital marketplace and and getting content to to more people in, in affordable ways. And I just know it. I just know that that's a, a path that we need to go down. 
Um, and so the anticipation and intention of all that has led to some incredible opportunities uh, to be able to fulfill that dream. But if, if I couldn't speak about it passionately with belief to my team, then they would think it's just you know another idea that we had. But that belief is what drives the, the work to get completed in that area. And so the, it, it's something that I'm witnessing and something that I'm feeling at, you know, as we speak. But uh, it, it's interesting to think of it in those terms that before you ever can become successful, you have to believe right, that you can be that. And that's what's going to start the cycle of really getting you to where you want to go. Um, but none of that comes w without a price. And you, you have to be able to weather the storm and pay the price in order to achieve what it is that we're looking for, right? And, and a price, the price is basically what is standing between you and the potential of who you can become. And it's whether or not you want to pay that price. So wrapping all this up of, of, of this segment, right? If we, if we start talking about we're worthy of the investment, we want to change. We understand that some people won't want to change with us. Um, we understand that we have to create belief and, and find our calling. The, whatever is standing between you and your calling or you and your best life, essentially, is the price that you have to pay. And, and it's different for everybody, but, 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 but the price could be, you know, a relationship. The price can be, you know, giving up your favorite foods. The price can be um, having to, you know, to, to exit that career and, and, and jump wholeheartedly into a calling. Whatever that is, there's a price. And, and that price that, that you pay is between you and the potential of who you want to become. And so uh, the, the key in all of this is to first figure out where it is that you want to go Determine the price and then see if you're willing to pay that price. We're going to take a break right here. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality, so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management. 
the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our final segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon. So excited to have you guys along with us. Really uh, uh, appreciate you um, uh, being here for us um, and uh, supporting the show the way that you guys do. It's, it's been uh, tremendous, um, just, just the support, the love, and, and how people reach out and continue to reach out um, for us. Um, so we were talking previously about the price, the, the, the price people have to pay, um, the price that um, is standing between you and your potential. And so, you know, reading through that, um, one of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes is uh, from John really is, is a different world uh, cannot be built by indifferent people. And if we really want to be leaders, we have to do what John calls a transformational leadership. We have to become transformational leaders. And transformational leaders are willing to pay the price that they see to do the change in the world. In fact, they have to model the behavior or be the change they want to see in others. You know, John F. Kennedy said that, that every child has a change the world speech inside of them. Every child has the ability to, to say or do or be something that can change the world, right? Whether they do it or not, um, that, that, that's a whole different ballgame. But the, the, the incredible thing is that the potential is there. And if the potential is there, then we have to know what the price is. And if the price is there, we got to be willing to pay it. But that doesn't mean it's not available. So if, if you're standing around and saying things like, you know, one of these days, I'm going to get around to writing that book. You know, one of these days, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a speech up on TED Talks. One of these days, well, when, when does one of those days become today? When does one of those days become the day that you begin to model the behavior and start doing the, 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 the things that you want? Um, it's, it's, it's important to be able to reconcile that in your brain that, that one, you're worth it, that two, it's going to be difficult. And, and people aren't going to like the change, but three, you're willing to pay the price so that four, you can model the behavior and be the change you want to see in other people. And, and the moment you start it, 
there's going to be resistance. And what Gandhi said about resistance is, you know, first people ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And that, that cycle is so important because the moment somebody gets told no or, or, you know, somebody says, well, that's a dumb idea or somebody says, yeah, you can never do that. And you then inherit that belief, right? Then they're winning. But we've already gone through the belief cycle. So we know that that belief leads to anticipation, leads to intention. Intention leads to opportunity. Opportunity leads to action. Action leads to passion. Passion leads back to belief. So these are, you know, some pretty profound things that came out of this day. And again, you're going to be able to, to see this yourself. If you like, you can, you can look at the John Maxwell Company and find where leadership's live. Um, that's going to be going live, I believe, in February. Um, but you're getting a, a sneak peek of it right here due to listening to the work-life balance. With all of that, um, we've got a ton of stuff that's coming up uh, on the show. Uh, one of the things I, I, I wanted to bring up as well is, is there's a great new podcast out there if you guys want to listen to it called Get a Grip on Life. Um, and, and basically, um, the, it, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, podcast uh, by Michael Colligan. And he finds out what makes people tick as everyone tries to get a grip on life, essentially. So you can go to getagripoutinlife.com, uh, check out the previous episodes, links to social media channels and more. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, but just search for Get a Grip on Life. But uh, it, it's a phenomenal podcast and, and one that, that we fully support here on the Work-Life Balance. We hope that you'll check them out as well. As always, too, you can find me at rick at rickamorris.com. Find me at rickamorris on Twitter, find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, anywhere else. But if you think you would make a great guest on this show, we would love for you guys to, to uh, reach out and do that. Uh, as far as upcoming guests, um, I know next week we're going to have uh, Alan Stein Jr. We've had him on the show before. He's a phenomenal coach. He actually uh, uh, posted a couple of uh, tweets that I read that, that changed my entire morning routine. So we'll talk to him about that. He's got a new book that's coming out, so we'll have him uh, on the 21st with us. So there's going to be a, a no-show on the week of Christmas. Um, and then coming back from there, we're going to have Tamara Runyon on the show, as well as Pamela Tripp, uh, Laura Brandenburg, uh, Jesse Smith. We've got an incredible lineup as the new year starts to come through uh, on the work-life balance. Also, as we're starting to close out the year, any reflections you've had, anything that you've heard, anything that you would like us to, to talk about again um, reach out to me. I, I love listening from you guys. I want to make sure that you're out there. Um, and uh, we are, are willing to grow and, and take this show into whatever direction. We're going in on our third year um, of the show, about to start, I believe, the fourth year, um, which uh, we're super excited about. Now, I, I want to leave you with a, with a final quote here um, in, in the one that I kind of circled um, uh, especially around as we talk about um, people not wanting to see us change. And, and it's it said that some people uh, will not see your greatness because they're too close to you. So if you think about, you know, putting your nose up against a picture, you can't really see the picture, but when you pull yourself away, the picture becomes clearer and clearer. And what we want to make sure that we do with that picture is not only is the picture getting bigger, right? It's growing and getting bigger every day. There's never a point where we need to be able to say, 
you know, we're satisfied with this plateau. We're satisfied with what we have. There, there's always something better. And I leave you with, with the, the, the story of John himself, who had, had decided he wanted an organization called Equip that was going to uh, basically train church leaders in every country of the world. That was, that was the vision. And they were getting really close. They were in the 90 percentile. And some of the, the countries that were left were like, you know, Yemen and Iraq and Syria and some, some places that it's, it's not easy to go and not a lot of people want to sign up for. And, you know, a lot of the leaders were like, well, what we've done is good enough. And they actually had a, a guy there saying, nope, we're going to do this. And they did. They completed training church leaders in every country on the planet. Just, just think of the immense work that that takes, but they did it. And as soon as they were done, they were like, yay, we're finished. We did it. It's good. Let's celebrate. And John Maxwell, being John Maxwell, sat back and said, yeah, it's not enough. No, that was great. And that was certainly a vision, but that's, that's not enough. And so he came up and they said, you know, what should we do, John? And he said, I, I want to start transforming countries. And a lot of the, the, the leaders in the board of Equip, they, they weren't on board with that journey. They're like, John, we did it. We, we finished. We, we're good. And he said, no, it's not enough. And so he came up with the vision of transforming countries. And they're like, well, how are you going to do that? He goes, I don't know. But again, he was aiming for something bigger than himself, something that he didn't think he could complete on his own. And they came up with Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point, 10%. If they could get 10% of a country discussing values, then they feel that that would begin a transformation process that obviously is going to take years, but that could transform a country. And so they went to Guatemala and started that process, uh, learned from that process, repeated the process. We've done it in Paraguay, we've done it in Costa Rica. Um, but um, if you look at just what's happened in Guatemala, not only do we have people talking about values, but everybody started to realize, hey, we really need to be teaching the children the, these values, these universal laws. And so now there's um, curriculum for every student to be taught not only leadership, but, but the universal laws and values. They're teaching it in school. And so we only can understand what the impact is. And, and, you know, again, it's going to be probably several years before we really start to see some of the key metrics that we're tracking to see if that country itself has been transformed. But I, I look at John as that model to say, you know, here's a guy that, that, I mean, he can charge an immense amount just to come in and, and speak to a leader, or any organization, any organization in the world would, would bring him in. And um, so you can do that, right? And, and that would be good enough. You can train leaders in every country and that could be enough. But for him, it's not enough. And to me, that's why a, he's a mentor and, and somebody that, that I'm following and somebody that just excites me to be around. So if you're interested as well in, in joining this effort of transformational leadership in these countries, uh, certainly reach out to me at Rick A. Morris, rick at rickamorris.com. We can talk to you about uh, becoming a member of this phenomenal organization. With that, I'm going to close out this week's show. It's time for me to live out my work-life balance and uh, go spend some time with the family. So we love you guys. We thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with Coach Alan Stein. We'll talk to you then next Friday. 
Till then, you've been listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 